Ryan, welcome to the Protectors Podcast. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Oh, you know, living the dream. Living in the dream. You know, we were just talking about living the dream. And a dream comes in many forms, my friend. It sure does. I got it, kids. Kids are making it. Uh, it's a good thing for me. So, Isn't it the best thing in the world? I love being a father more than any of this crap I've done. Army, law enforcement, whatever. Being a dad is the best thing ever. I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm sure trying to make it the best thing ever. Anyway, and I don't know about you, but like the writing thing for me is more. It's very therapeutic, but it also leaves a legacy for my kids. Man, it's like, oh, dad wasn't just this, this, and that. He actually had a heart, and he actually had like soul coming out onto his paperwork. So, like, they might not like my kids are twelve, fourteen. They might not really understand it now. But I'm hoping that maybe later on when they have kids, they'll look back and go, oh, okay, that's what dad was talking about. I don't think my kids are quite ready for my work. Uh, it's very adult. But I I have a draft of a novel I finished recently, and I tell them the stripped down PG version, just leave out the gory bits, and uh, they are eating it up. They live, They hang on every word. So it's a lot of fun. My, that's the one thing about my book is like my, my son was like, you knew that person. I'm like, and you did this. And I'm like, well, here, right there. You can read it right there. And he's like, what? So it's funny. Cause they're like teenagers. Well, my daughter's going to be a teenager and he's a teenager. And it's like, it's interesting how they look at you with a different perspective now. Like when they actually, Oh, you weren't, you're not just this old dude. <laughs> right. I expect yours are harder to impress than mine. Mine are seven, seven and five. At that point, they really do. They, you know, it's um, hero worship just about when you're for, for the father. But uh, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to and dreading the teenage years at the same time. Exactly. And they're not going to understand like the wars and everything yet. My kids don't even really, you know, when were you when did you first deploy? What was your first one? First deployment, 2006. Okay. Uh, yeah, I went to. Africa a couple times first, then Iraq, and then uh, more Africa, and then um, a couple of longer combat rotations through Afghanistan. Okay. When were you in Iraq? 2006, uh, five weeks covering November and a little bit more. I was working in the clearing hospital there at Bath. Uh, okay. Um, or, no, I'm sorry, Bath's in Afghanistan at Blond, <laughs> uh, doing everything under the sun, surgery, anesthesia. They, they, they gave me the run of the place. So it was cool. I think I just missed you. I left Balad in 06, October 06. Okay. So I was there from, I think January, mid January, January through October. Yeah. I was attached to CJ Sodaf as their ATFP guy. All right. So we yeah, went over and uh, we used their range over there. I took the, I took some of the docs and the surgeons over to shoot and, you know, do cool guy stuff. So they would, uh, kind of get buddy, buddy and, um, had a neurosurgeon who had extended for his second 12 month tour recently. Wow. He'd been in, in, uh, contiguous. He'd been in country 14 months and had like 10 more to go. And he took an AK and I watched him shoot the first one. And I was like, okay, he seems to have it under control. And the second one on full auto, he walked it straight up 
off the target over the Hescos. Yeah. The last, I don't know, 15 rounds just at a low trajectory out into Iraq. So. Well, the good thing is there was a field back there, so it didn't hit like a village. <laughs> Just so the audience knows, there's behind that Hesco there at uh, Camp Saverson, there's it's a field. And once in a while, you'll see little kids running around there, but not at the time when you're shooting a range. So, no, yeah, <laughs> I think we were probably okay, but still, I would have rather he didn't do that. I know exactly. It was such it was a great opportunity to have a range right there, too. Yeah. And you know, it's like you know, it's not like any other military base now, you can just go out there and shoot. You know, obviously, you have to know how to shoot. You can't, I mean, but when you bring the docs out there, that's pretty cool. That's a cool experience for them too. Like, you know, cause they're, they're probably, I can only imagine you too being in that situation where it's day in and day out where you're just, wow. Yeah, it was busy. Yeah. Um, November of 06 was, I can't remember how many American casualties we were taking, but um, we were usually busy at the hospital. I was working six days a week um, and I was only there for training, but they once they got comfortable using me, um, they were chopping me out as an extra anesthesiologist. They would pair me with an actual anesthesiologist in the same OR so they could double up the OR and run two patients at the same time. And then they didn't have to call their other guy in off a shift or off of a break. So he would have his day off and I would cover for him. So they really did. They let me have the run of the place. Now, how did you get into that, the med field? Oh, I volunteered. I was going through the Q course, the SF course, and I was uh, signed up to be an 18 Bravo med, uh, weapons guy. Mm-hmm. And at the end, fairly early in the Q course, they grabbed a whole bunch of us and said, hey, we have all these extra medic slots and we need to fill them because we really need medics. It takes longer to train medics than it does everybody else. So they're always short. And they asked for volunteers and a bunch of us made the jump. And, you know, it was kind of a whim, but it turned out to be a pretty good decision. Like to me, like the medical field is like the, the, the technical aspect of it, like the body, like the machine of the body and trying to learn. It's more, it's obviously more complex than an engine, but it's like, I, when you get into it, I just, I can never grasp how doctors and surgeons and anybody has to deal with the whole muscular skeletal system and everything in between. It's like, that must've been pretty tense knowing you're going in, Hey, you know, weapon sergeant's cool. You know, we can pick up some guns. We can do all sorts of cool shit, but the medical thing, man, was that something you were prepared for? Do you ever have that in your background? Oh, prior to that? No, not at all. (laughs) Um, I had no medical experience, maybe a first aid class somewhere along the line. I grew up in the woods in Montana and I'm sure that, you know, we took, hunter safety and basic first aid and that kind of stuff so that we'd be safe out camping and that kind of thing but nothing nothing comparative to the the 18 delta course um and yeah it was the you know the the old stereotype of drinking from a hot fire hose for uh i think it's 48 weeks it's almost a year long and to be honest i was too young to really get all I could have out of it. I was struggling just to keep my head above the water. Um, so I, I soaked up what I could, but then when you get to a team, they just keep training you anyway. And that's what I was doing in, in Balad. I went down there to get some actual more hands-on and it was really good. Yeah. But good old Balad, good old Balad burn pits as well. Thank you, Balad. <laughs> yeah. uh, the day I left, they were running some kind of 5k race at five in the morning when I rode out to the airstrip 
through the ground haze yeah. where it was just, you know, the first 10 feet off the ground, you could barely see through it. I wish I could, I wish back then we had, well, I wish we didn't have social media back then, like, but you know what I mean? Like this, but having, I didn't take any pictures and video and stuff like that. And I wish I could have of the burn pits and everything because, you know, with my lungs are all jacked up now and everything else you can imagine. And it's just like what, eight months of that breathing and that crap, eight, nine months of it. Yeah. And it's like, but it, it just how it lays on the ground, it's literally like just a foot or two off the ground and just waffles through the whole base. And you're just like, oh, this is great. Yeah. But at the time, you're like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, the guard shacks that are pretty much right next to the, <laughs> the burn pit. So the, I can imagine being those guys and girls. Oh my gosh. I, it messed a bunch of people up, but you know, mm -hmm. they do have some kind of registry going on and they're working on uh, getting some sort of compensation or treatment. Hopefully they're both uh, for people. I haven't applied for that one or messed with it yet, but I know it's out there. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So, you know, you do multiple combat tours, you're building up a lot of emotions. You're understanding different emotions going on within yourself and the people around you. And we're, so you have the medical stuff now in your background, but where did the writing come from? Where did poetry, I mean, poetry is so therapeutic to you, but it's also, it can be draining. So where did the writing come from? Does, does this happen while you're over there, you know, through your deployments or did you just after we came back from the wars? Well, I did a few years of college prior to joining and I took some writing classes, nothing crazy, but a, like some basic writing classes. So I'd written a little, I'd written a little bit of poetry and, uh, embarrassing stuff now i wouldn't want to trot it out to anybody um but then while i was in i didn't really write much i didn't have time i'd write on uh, a c-17 on the way into africa or something every once in a while but i was writing like a diary type stuff when i got out um even before i got out and i started therapy they suggested uh poetry as a way of expressing that self, uh, the, the emotions that you're having a hard time getting out. And also a big component of therapy is writing a trauma statement, which is like a nonfiction account of what you do. So I kind of got into it or got back into it there. Um, and then I, I wrote some stuff for, for therapy. And then also after that, when I got more into taking some writing classes, I went back to college, um, took some more writing stuff and, I was really interested. I'm still interested in writing fiction, um, but I would get, you know, uh, the the standard writer's block. I'd get stuck or I'd just lose motivation. I'd switch genres. I'd start writing poetry. And what that allowed for me to do was sort of like the therapy aspect. It let me see the events, the the emotions in a different light and just sort of play around with them. And so a lot of the poems, um, especially in the book, they came out of me just kind of fooling around with things I felt, things I thought, things that I'd seen or occurred, um, that sort of thing. And then just some some uh, unwholesome imaginings that were trouble in the back of my mind. And I, it gave me a, a space that I could sort of play around with them in. Now, Black Snowflakes is available now. And getting it to the stage where you're like, okay, I have a lot of what I think is good poetry. It could be great poetry. How do you come to the realization? You know what? I want other people to experience this and to, to read it because that's, it's opening your heart to everybody. 
and potentially just like a global audience because you never know when it's going to pick up. But knowing that your your raw emotions are out there, that's that's pretty intense. It took a little bit to get used to the idea, that's for sure. Um, and especially in the case of this book, I mean, I, the joke I've been telling the other Army guys is I basically took my jumbo size man person up into it right on the table for everybody to see. I didn't hold back and it's very emotional. It's emotional for me. And and judging by the responses that I'm hearing from most people, it uh, it elicits some strong feelings from a lot of the, the readers, particularly the veterans as well. Um, so overcoming that, I, I had to just agree to kind of do it, with, agree with myself to do it. Uh, but I'll tell you what, when I sent the collection of poetry to a uh, publishing contest book didn't win, but the publisher was still interested in publishing it. When they came back and told me that, I did have a, oh my goodness, come to Jesus moment. I actually am going to put this out in the world and people are going to read it. And then that's when I did a lot of um, revision um, in terms of shaping it, shaping the poems individually and also as a whole to make something um, that sort of hung together better. And I don't think I edited it so that I would be more comfortable with it. If anything, I realized that what I had going for it, if anything, is the um, the emotionality. And so I, I turned that up to my the best of my ability. How's the reception been from the veteran community, especially those that you know are probably having the PTS, the, the stress, the daily struggles? How, how's the reception been with that? Uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I've had... I had uh, one veteran who um, got a hold of me and said he served 27 years and didn't know what I was talking about. And other than that, uh, a lot of folks, let's see, what do I usually hear? Uh, I usually hear, I don't read a lot of poetry, but I liked this, or I could get into this or however they phrase that. And then uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, primarily guys, a few gals have told me that, um, they had to read it in small doses. They'd read a couple poems and it would, uh, it'd get their emotions going and they would have to take a break for a little while and then read it some more. So it does seem to be hitting, hitting home and by and large in a, in a very positive way. Uh, most people are able to see it as cathartic rather than some sort of um, negative, painful experience. I think there's been a misconception around poetry for so long. You know, when you actually, because most people are like, okay, I'm going to read nonfiction. I'm going to read fiction. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read a newspaper. But when I actually sit back and say, and they take a look and they open up a book and it has poems in it, it's not kids' poems. People don't understand that. It's like not the poems you read when you were in high school or even in like junior college or college. These are like true emotion poems. These are true coming from a different place than most people would understand, and especially you coming from the combat background, coming from having, you know, the multiple deployments, the purple hearts, the, the, the acts of valor within that and putting that on paper. I think people will see something different and understand that there's, there's more than, you know, soldiers aren't just two dimensional that, you know, they can have an outpouring and it can come out on paper. And I love that. Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. I, I think both parts, the folks, a lot of folks don't know anything about poetry and it's fine. But they all they know is uh, rhyming Dr. Seuss books 
from when they were a kid. And again, that's okay. But when they pick this up, I, if, if they choose to pick it up, they don't know what to expect. And a lot of times they don't because it's just off putting. They don't, they don't associate anything positive with poetry, but, um, if they read it, I don't see how they could possibly, uh, come away without a enhanced understanding of soldiers as being something other than two dimensional for sure. It's going to deepen, broaden your understanding of my experiences and judging by what I'm hearing from a lot of folks, uh, the experiences are similar to what they had. So, you know, I, I hesitate to extrapolate my experiences as, um, general across the military slash veteran population, but it does seem to have a lot of echoes and a lot of resonances with what other people lived through. I'd actually love to see more civilians read it. And that's one thing we were going to talk about tonight was bridging that military civilian gap within communication. It's great. Yeah. You could be like, I could say who all day long. I can, I, we could probably do this whole conversation in Hua, you know, Hua and use the F word, you know, but it's just a military thing, but civilians don't understand. They don't understand the different mentalities and for them to see the war through a different lens than what they see on the TV, what they read in uh, the fiction books, but to see it through raw emotion, that's, that must be re a really great thing for you to bring out there to get this to the civilian market as well. Not just a niche military. Yeah. Some of the most, um, uh, Moving or the, the some of the uh, feedback I've appreciated the most has been from military spouses. I've had quite a few military spouses come back and tell me that this has given them some insight into their spouse's experience um, and what they went through. Because uh, by and large, a lot of people are not comfortable talking about this kind of stuff. Understandable. Um, but once their spouse reads about it and comes and talks to them with the, some of the poems and some of the experiences in the book as a basis and ask questions, you know, did you live something like what I just read here? It says this, it seems to give people a basis for conversation and understanding. So that's been really rewarding for me. Um, aside from spouses and, you know, it's people who have friends in the military, people who have family, that sort of thing. I don't know about the population at large. Uh, it's kind of like how you get, how do you get a lot of people interested in poetry? Well, how do you get a lot of civilians truly invested in what soldiers are going through? Uh, and I don't have a good answer to that. If I, if I knew that I'd be um, a bestseller at this point because people would be picking up the book because they'd want to know. Um, there, so it's been it's been niche groups, it's been interest groups who have a stake in understanding that soldier's mindset by and large. I'd love to see it go out to the civilian market. I'd love for civilians to understand what just a, a small semblance of the military goes through because not everybody is a a true, you know, been through what you have and have the experience that you have. But also, like you said before, it could be a good catalyst for those who have served, especially the spouses that are serving on the backside, is a catalyst for conversation. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is perfect. And that's the first step to a lot of, you know, healing from trauma and from PTSD is to take that first step to have a conversation. I think, I think um, it's working both ways. The spouse can take it and, and go to their, their military partner, their veteran and say, Hey, is this how it was? But it's also a way for the veteran to step into the conversation in a, as risk-free a manner as possible. 
it's hard harder to take go and broach the subject with someone else uh, have a conversation at that point you've got another individual involved but if you can sit and read the book as a first step you're all by yourself there's no risk there aside from eliciting the own your own emotions right which can be painful but nobody is going to hear about your experiences nothing like that but then some of them are taking the book and saying yes this is this right here this is something that resonates with me i did i had something very similar happen or etc so it's a way to to step in that conversation for the veterans too and go the other direction now, Ryan, you really kind of piqued my interest in the beginning when you mentioned you want to write fiction. Because I've interviewed so many fiction authors on the show. I love it. I love fiction. I love military thrillers. I love detective thrillers. Kind of the thriller genre. I mean, I'm either one or two ways. I'm like, you know, nonfiction, I got to learn, and I'm fiction. So, I mean, I mean, really, there's there's a ton of different. But I really, what kind of fiction are you thinking about writing? And if you throw a sci-fi, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I love to think I haven't done much for sci-fi. I've done some uh, some drug stories where the, the characters are so high. It's almost sci-fi, but not quite. Um, let's see. The book that I just finished my first revision of my first draft on is you could call it a thriller or it, it's something close. I'm trying to get a little bit more um, depth and characterization into it instead of just plot, action, twist, action, plot, twist, you know. Um, but that's what I have for the novel. I've got a full collection of short stories that also need revised, and that's more military fiction. Um, similar to the poems, a lot of it's either a closely or loosely based on some of my own experiences. So um, I've got a fictional character that runs as the, the thread through all the stories. And I'm I'm working on revising those. I'm, I stepped back from the novel after I finished that revision, and I've been working on the short stories right now. I'm hoping to get um, one of them published in a journal that someone has heard of at some point. That's my goal currently. You know, I think you're going to break through. I, if one thing I know is like people like reading authors that have the background. Mm-hmm. Or at least they want to know the background. Like I, Mark Rainey's never been in the military, but that guy can write, and he writes incredible work, man. I love it. I love the Gray Man series. But then right. you have everybody else, like you know, that has a really good background and they're writing good things. I really, I'm excited to follow you, man. And I cool. really appreciate you coming on and talking about it. I appreciate you having me, Jason. Well, you're always welcome back on. And if you ever want to co-host, I love having people back on a co-host when I have authors on and stuff. But everybody, make sure you pick up Black Snowflakes. Thank you, Jason. <laughs>